So we just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, Father, that even as I share, Father, that you would speak to us, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would open the word to us, Lord. Break the word and uh, give it to us, Lord, that we may feed on it this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to share on the topic, you are the light of the world. And I want to take this as the key verse, Matthew chapter 5 and verses uh, 14 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. I think there are two things that come out in this passage. One is, uh, you are the light of the world. And the second thing is, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. Two things. You are the light of the world and let people see your good deeds. Okay? And uh, it basically says, let your Christian witness be accompanied by the deeds that you do. Okay? It's not that you're only being a witness, but let your witness also be accompanied by deeds. Now there are two ways to bear Christian witness. One is just to preach or to, you know, just to say that I'm a Christian. And the second thing is to say that you're a Christian by what you do. Is that okay? And this passage is talking about you being a Christian and by showing it off by what you do. Okay? In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, there was a place where there was a lamp. And the instruction that was given to the Levites, every day they shifted duty and every day the, the, the command was that lamp before God should always keep burning. That little lamp, every evening they were to pour oil in it so that through the entire day and night, that lamp before God keeps burning. Is that okay? That lamp before God keeps burning. Turn me to Psalm chapter 18 verse 28. A beautiful verse. Let's put that Psalm chapter 18 verse 28. The psalmist turns it around and he says, You Lord keep my lamp burning. My God who turns my darkness into light. You Lord keep my lamp burning. You know, as little children we sang, we sing that song. What is that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. I want that Satan who of this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine in the sense that let it shine, uh, let the light in me shine. But this verse here in Psalm 18.28 says, Lord, it is you who keep my lamp burning. I don't do it, but it is you who keep that lamp. You know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there was such a shift from God dwelling in the tabernacle, God dwelling in that temple. In the New Testament where God says that we are the temple of God. You know, in the Old Testament, the temple there was there were a lot of restrictions to the temple. Who entered in? Who had privilege of access? What was the surrounding place of the temple supposed to be? It was supposed to be clean. There was a lot of things about the temple because when God dwelt in that temple, there was supposed to be a dignity for that temple. Is that okay? And in the same way, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about us as being the temple of God where God's spirit dwelt within us 
again there was a dignity in the temple to have him stay with us you understand so if, if we want god to stay in our lives if we are the carriers of god so to speak that where we went god would come with us that our temple the way we keep our temple is extremely extremely important is that okay you o lord keep the lamp of my life lamp of my heart burning remember the time when solomon offered up the sacrifices he put all the sacrifices up and then he called on the lord and the lord sent fire down fire is attracted by a sacrifice fire is attracted by a sacrifice when your life is out there as a sacrifice for him it attracts god's presence to come and work in us yeah your sacrifice attracts fire and here jesus says you are the light of the world not a humorous way he was the light of the world he has always been the light of the world i like the way jesus said i am the light of the world no man who trusts in me will be ever put to shame never never you know when john the baptist came john the baptist uh, talked about jesus as a person who is the light coming into the world jesus john said i am not the light i am only a witness to the light i am just a pointer to tell people hey this is the light that is supposed to come I said okay jesus christ was the light but suddenly christ turns it around and then he looks at his disciples and he says you are the light of the world you are the light of the world i believe when jesus said be the light of the world he was definitely telling us to be people who would set the benchmark or the gold standards for everyday living when he said you are the light of the world he was looking to us as people who would set the benchmark for everyday living everyday living in in every area of your life whether it was moral values whether it was church whether it was family whether it was work whether it was education whether it was whatever that we as god's people would set the benchmark for right living said okay when he said that you are the lights in the dark world he was expecting us to set a standard for living jesus went on also to say that you are the salt of the earth you know so what does salt do salt does two things one thing is adds flavor just a little bit of salt adds flavor salt is also a preservative when there is a lot of salt it prevents decay a little salt does not prevent decay okay a little salt is good for taste but a lot of salt in the same place prevents decay or corruption or anything else is that okay and i looked at this verse as uh, when jesus said you are the you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden i think when he said a city on a hill he was talking about a lot of lights okay a lot of believers on a hill cannot be hidden because in a city if you if you need to have a city on a hill you need to have lot of lights can you imagine if you're driving down somewhere on the road and looking up on elegri hill or something like that and you see a lot of lights i think that's what it talks about it talks about a lot of believers living together that's on a city on a hill but the other one that he's talking about it's it's a lamp that is lit and giving light to those in the house it's talking about a much smaller area where there's a single lamp 
with a single lamp. You know, sometimes God calls us to be that single lamp in a dark place. And sometimes he calls us to be a large group of lamps like a city on a hill. Is that okay? Both ways God expects us. So the thing is, wherever we are, the important thing for us is to be that light. To be that salt. You know? Wherever we are. Sometimes we are called to be the single lamp. I think of it, Daniel and Babylon that way. Peter was in Jerusalem. And there were so many other believers in Jerusalem with Peter. But for Daniel... And so to speak, even for Joseph, they were called to be the singular lamp in that dark place. You know, when there's a single lamp in a room where there's no light. Now imagine we live in a place where, you know, the generator comes on in 10 seconds. Sometimes I wish the generator just doesn't come on. I just like to enjoy the time when the current goes off. Even as little kids, I liked it when the current goes off and it wouldn't come for two hours. And you're just lighting a lamp on the dining table and that's it. It's so beautiful. You know? And sometimes we are called to be that single lamp. You know, when Daniel was there in Babylon, everybody recognized him as somebody in whom the spirit of the gods dwelt. In fact, the kings used to address him like that. They used to address him saying, I had a dream, but I hear that you are someone in whom the spirit of the gods dwell. Now tell me the answer to my dream. You know, sometimes in a dark place, even a little light is very, very, very evident. But sometimes when you live in a place where there are a thousand lights, you know, your little light sometimes doesn't shine as bright. And then there's a greater light and there's a lesser light and there's a contradiction between the lights, what you believe, what I believe, the doctrine, which church you come from, blah, blah, all of those things. Unnecessary, you know? Sometimes it's better to be a single light in a dark place. But wherever you are, I think the call is to be the light of the world. In today's world, we see violence at such an unprecedented scale I mean, nations calling out for war just like that, you know. I like the way US and uh, North Korea were trying to, you know, North Korea says they're making videos, you know, uh, simulating a, a nuclear war going there and then, and then Donald Trump says he's going to chuck 10 this way and, you know, they're talking like how they throw, throw firecrackers over your, uh, you know, over the wall into the neighbor's house. It's not like that, you know. But that's the scale at which we're talking about. Hatred. Hatred based on the, on the faith. The, the biggest wars in history have been, have been fought based on, based on faith. That's it. We are this faith, you are that faith, and we're going to come and attack you. Is that okay? And today we see corruption to a huge scale. Anytime any of the Indian, uh, you know, any corruption scandal happens, I mean, it runs nothing less than 2,000 crores. And I'm like, my God, taxpayers' money have been paying so much every month and everything 2000 crores how did these guys walk away with stuff like that there's nothing less than that everything starts at that nothing makes it to the newspaper headlines if it is less than that you understand corruption at such a large scale drugs that's come into our even in our, into our city child abuse it happens every day in the newspaper every day you know I remember the time when, uh, when a small girl, six years old, was abused in Bangalore, in a school there, and there was a protest in Bangalore. Some of my friends were part of the protest. And they were telling me to give, to, to have code words for your children. Code words in the sense, if somebody wants to tell, take my daughter saying, you know, daddy is wanting to call you, my, my daughter will ask, what's the code word? And I have a code word after that. Nobody, my daughter doesn't go with anybody without you telling her the code word. You understand? Because the world has become such an un- unsafe place and, it, and it's, come to, it's come to our place even. You understand? 
I remember the time about a year ago, there was a newspaper on the Hindu newspaper. Two guys, two really fat guys wearing jeans and tattooed all over, wearing dark glasses. Two guys having a small girl called Isabel. They had adopted a small girl called Isabel. And I was thinking, why would two gay guys want to adopt a girl called Isabel? And I was thinking, what kind of home would Isabel grow up in? These two guys are confused enough. And then to have a little girl grow up in a home, what kind of setup would that be? You know? But slowly I'm realizing that's, that's becoming the new normal. That's becoming the trend. In such a world, in such a world, God is asking us to be the light of the world. In such a world where the, it is changing every day, in such a world. You know, when Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me or my words in this generation, I will be ashamed of you when, when I come in my Father's glory. We cannot afford to be ashamed of him in this generation. Yeah, Not in this. Not in this. In this generation, the only thing that is right is what is written in God's word. Are you with me? And I'm never ashamed of what is written in God's word because that is the right way of living. You know? The only right way of living is what is there given in the scripture. I believe the Bible is the only scripture that tells its people, pay your taxes. Can you imagine? He's brought it down to such a level where he says, if you owe the king anything, might as well pay it. You understand? Jesus has set the standard. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 6. Where Isaiah says that God is the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. You know, I wonder who sets the moral standards in the world we live. Who could have the integrity, the moral uprightness, the intellect to send the foundational values and principles in your world and mine. You know? I remember we were framing a document uh, for uh, homosexuality in a particular institution. I was part of that committee that sat together trying to frame a document. It was a Christian institution trying to frame a document what do we believe in? We don't have anything written down of what we believe in as an institution. And we, and we were trying to, to put our thoughts together as what, what are our views on that? You know? And, uh, and many of us were Christians in that group. And one of the things that I was coming in with was, was perspective from the, from the Bible. You know? I just wanted to put down biblical perspectives on what, what God says about homosexuality. Whether it's acceptable or not acceptable. What kind, of, what kind of standing does God have? God has a standard. God has a standard and I don't want to pull his standard down. Either we live up to his standard or we don't. But I don't want to pull his standard down. You see, God has a standard and, and he set it. And I just wanted to say that this is the standard that God has set for life. Is that okay? And I wish that would go down into our founding documents when we make a document such as this. And at the end of that session, I was thinking there were about eight of us and I was thinking, who are we to set foundational values when God has already set foundational values? You know, Can it be a small committee in Europe that says that this is the way to live? No. 
the god who started this world into existence he's the only one who could set the foundational principles is that okay and in such a world i choose not to be ashamed of him i cannot afford to be ashamed of him i could be ashamed of some other human being perhaps but definitely not of him definitely not of the one who created me who gave me life who gave me a chance to live on this planet who gave me skill and intellect to live and earn money i will not be ashamed of him not in this generation not in our generation yeah i like the way ltj chandran put it he said the 10 commandments described in the bible are the best human rights documents ever okay and all other human rights document evolved from this basically when it started okay so when he said when god said you shall not murder god gave value for life god gave sanctity for life so when you when you value the person who is crossing on the road you don't drive fast and expect him to jump off the road you know you slow down a little bit because there's value for life but as an old person or a young person there's value for life even the life of the unborn when god says you shall not murder it was a sweeping statement that there's value for life everywhere even the life of an animal is that okay you shall not murder when god said you shall not steal it was protection against theft of physical property of intellectual property it was against land grabbing encroachments it was protection of the rights of the poor all of this came under the thing of you shall not steal when god said you shall not commit adultery it protected the marriage it protected the family it protected the rights of women it protected them against rape or any other form of sexual harassment it protected young children even children as young as 6 months old or 2 years old that we keep seeing in the news when it said you shall not commit adultery it protected them from abuse of any kind when god said you shall not lie it helped to keep up integrity in every situation it helped one to be honest even in the most trying circumstances it promotes integrity in business in marriage in research even in paying your income tax and god said do not lie is that okay so i'm not going to the rest of the 10 commandments but the 10 commandments was was like a founding document for 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 right living is that okay and god had put it down and it is it was a standard that he set and i wish that we would rise up to that standard christ was the true light he still is the true light but as if to surprise us or perhaps even to commission us jesus said you are the light of the world you will be the light in the place i position you and people will see that light people will see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven people will see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven deal moody once famously said like this he said of 100 men in a community one may read the bible the other 99 read the life of a christian your life may be the only gospel some people will ever read is that okay of 100 men in a community one may read the bible the other 99 read the life of a christian you know you, your life can be a bridge or the or a block to 
people entering the kingdom. Do you know that? When Jesus looked at the Pharisees, he told them, you guys, you want to enter in? You want to let others also to enter in. You understand? You want to enter in? You want to let others also enter in. Can you imagine if our life could be a bridge or a block? People would look at our life and say, hey, that's a lovely Christian life. Or people would look at us and say, man, I don't want to even go anywhere there. You understand? We can either be a bridge or we can be a block. You know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that many came just to see Lazarus. And because they saw Lazarus live, being raised up from the dead, they believed in Jesus. Is it okay? They saw the life that Lazarus lived and so they chose to follow after Christ. So also the Samaritan woman whom Jesus met at the well, she went back and told her village that you know there's a guy like this, there was a prophet there, he told everything about my life and he offered me living water. He told me to call my husband and come. He's really not my husband, but I'm going to take him and go. And a lot of people came and met Jesus. A lot of people can, can meet Jesus because of your life. Is that okay? Because of your life, a lot of people can meet Jesus. Can you turn with me to Luke chapter 4 and verse 25 to 27? This passage, no? It says there were many, many widows in Israel. But Elijah was called to minister to none of them. He was called to minister to a single widow at Zarephath. Okay? In Sidon. Now Sidon was a heathen city. Alright? Now at the time of Elisha, there were many people with leprosy in Israel. But Elisha, his calling on his life was not to go and minister to those people there. Lepers in Israel. But he was called to go out and minister to a single person called Naaman who was a Syrian. Understand? Why am I bringing this? If you were planning healthcare today and if you thought there were so many lepers in this town and there was just one person in the other town, you would think that you would make a huge difference if you went here. That's good. But sometimes God calls us to be that single person who would go out there to minister to Naaman the Syrian. Now he was totally out of covenant with God. You understand? I think these people were lepers in covenant with God and this guy was a leper who was out of covenant with God. And so also Elijah, there were many in Israel who were widows. Three years there was famine in their land but Elijah was not called to minister to them. He was called to minister to a widow in Zarephath in Sidon. Why am I telling you this? Again, I'm telling you this, that sometimes God calls us to be a light, like a city on a hill. Where there are so many lights on that hill, you are just one of them. That's a great thing to do, actually. I told you a lot of salt can preserve. A little bit of salt can't, but when it's a lot of salt, it can prevent against corruption and decay. But sometimes God calls us to be like Daniel in Babylon, as a single light in a place where God has chosen us for some great purpose of his. I can't believe Daniel served five kings. Can you imagine that? Wow, I think that's really cool. It's really cool to serve five kings and all five kings recognized you as someone in whom the spirit of the gods dwelt. Is that okay? And so also it says, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, it talks about Noah 
It says Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. A righteous man, blameless among the people in his generation. No? I wish that we would be like Noah, people who live blameless lives in our generation. This is our generation, you know. Too often we live in our generation, we talk about people who lived 100 years ago, who lived a righteous life. We, we still talk about people who lived 1000 years ago and 2000 years ago and 3000 years ago, saying that they lived a blameless life. They lived a blameless life in their generation. David lived a blameless life in his generation. And we are called to live blameless lives in our generation. The Bible talks about Lot. It talks about Lot also as a man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Can we just look at that? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 talks about Lot. 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. It says that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Is it okay? Some people think that when Abraham and Lot parted, uh, Lot saw greener territory and he moved towards there. He moved towards there, alright. Alright, he stayed near Sodom and Gomorrah, perhaps even in Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was lived a righteous life. Are you with me? Because sometimes we think that Abraham continued to live a righteous life here and God blessed his land and Lot walked away from the calling of God and moved away to a land of Sodom and Gomorrah and he lived a unrighteous life. It is not true. Here the Bible says that this righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. I believe Lot was a man who was a singular light in Sodom and Gomorrah. Bible also talks about Job. Job was a rich man. In fact, it says he was the richest man in the East. I was, I was thinking that there was no sheikh who was richer than him. Can you imagine the richest man in the, in, in, in the world was a believer? Every buck he earned was righteous. There was no black money in his account ever. And Job was a man who says, uh, if I have not made the heart of a widow happy by providing for her, if there, if there was one orphan in, in the city where I lived who I did not care for or provide for, if there was one stranger who entered my, my land and I did not open my doors so that he could come and sleep in my house and not outside in the open square, bring it to me, he says. He was a very, very generous man, but still he was a rich man. But Job was a righteous man among the people in his generation. In spite of all the wickedness around, it is possible to be that single light. I believe the calling on our lives is to be a light in a place where surrounded by darkness. The second half of that initial passage that we saw was, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I remember the time when I was born again, we were growing up and, and, and the preaching was, you are saved you don't have to do any good deed, you know. But then this verse says, let people see your good deeds. I'm going to, I'm going to justify that with some more verses. But it says, let people see your good deeds and glory, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, this verse talks about living out your faith before men, where you translate your faith into actions and let your faith be accompanied by good deeds. Let's turn to James chapter 2, uh, reading from verse 14. I think this is one of the best verses that puts it both together. That let your Christian life and let the deeds you do uh, go together. James chapter 2 was 14 onwards. Okay, shall we just read? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? What a question mark, no? If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, I hope everything is okay, be well fed, but does nothing about his physical deeds, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by deeds or actions, is dead. Powerful statement, no? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Dead faith. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Should we just read verse 22 again? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. How nice the argument he brings it, no? Suppose uh, one of your brother or sister does not have food or daily clothes and you say, I wish you well, keep warm, I'm praying for you. But doesn't do anything about his physical needs. What good is it? And then there's one person who says, I have faith, you have deeds, I'll show you my faith by what I do, and you show your faith just by itself. No? I'll show you my faith by what I do. He's challenging the other person, that I'll show you my faith by what I do. Let my actions speak for what I believe in. Is that okay? I like the verse 22 where it says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. This passage says if your faith is not accompanied by, by deeds, it's a dead faith. And faith has to be accomplished. It is completed by actions. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Let's read from verse 31. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You know, every time I read this passage, when I come to that verse itself, I always, I've, I'm already on the right side, you know. I'm, somehow when I read it, I've always, by default, subconsciously, anybody who's ever thought of yourself on the goat side, no, we, it just happens that, hey, that's me on the right. I'm part of the sheep. That's a nice thing to think of. Anyway, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat something you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and you clothed me I was ill and you looked after me I was in prison and you came to visit me If you look at these uh, five things no each of them takes an effort I was hungry and you gave me something to eat something It really doesn't matter whether you give biryani or something it doesn't have to be expensive but you give something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and you clothed me I was ill and you looked after me looking after is again it's not like a visit it's not like you're you're visiting somebody who is sick is looking after looking after is a little more commitment you see i was in prison and you came to visit me why would anybody be in prison suppose i went to prison for something i had done and it comes in the news the next day you know i went was up to this stuff and he went into prison would you be like really my god he was up to all of this stuff or would you care to come and visit me people who go to prison are usually there for some crime or some i mean they've done something significantly wrong to go there it was not that they were always criminal minded it was just the season of their life or it was just that momentary anger that they they got so angry that they hit somebody that followed died and so this guy has gone into prison you know or something do you know that there that, that, that is a large number of spiritual christians in velo prison do you know that have you heard about people going leading uh, for service on sunday there are people who have access to the prison sunday after sunday they go I said okay and they go lead a tamil service and the number of people who talk in tongues in that service is huge I said okay the number of people who have got life imprisonment there if they are told that there is a god who will forgive you the law may not forgive you here the law may put you in for the rest of your life you may not see your wife and your kids hereafter but there is a god who can forgive the sin that you did the murder that you did or the theft that you did people usually accept it they are so desperate i cannot imagine anywhere else in the world where there can be people who could be so desperate for forgiveness like people in prison they can be absolutely de- desperate if somebody could give them a glimmer of hope no just hope they would take it and here jesus says i was in prison and you cared enough to visit me if you had judged me you wouldn't have come but you cared enough to visit me then the then the righteous will answer him lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you when did we see you ill or in prison or go to visit you then the king will reply i truly i tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine or sisters of mine you did it for me you know sometimes we would care to do for some big brother famous preachers coming into your town you may cook a good meal for them and take and host them in your house but jesus said for whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine you've done it for me 
Now, let me tell you something. Jesus is not making a theological statement about salvation by acts of kindness. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we are saved by good works. We know that. Okay? I'm not treading on that area. But what he's really trying to say is that true faith shows. True faith shows. Faith is accompanied, or should be accompanied by deeds. Mother Teresa was once asked who is the greatest person living in the world today. You know what she said? Somebody in some corner of the world doing a small deed of kindness for someone else. That's the greatest person living. Somebody in some corner of the world doing a small deed of kindness for someone else. Faith accompanied by deeds. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. The entire book of 1 John, 2 John, talks about the love of God actually. No? I believe it was that John who was uh, Jesus' beloved disciple who, who rises. He, I mean, he was the closest to Jesus. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 18, he says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How? How? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I think it was a couple of Valentine's days back, there was a huge poster in Velo. Show your wife you care. Buy her platinum. You know? Evidence. What is the evidence of your love? Here it says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let your love show by what you do. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a beautiful prayer in a book called A Lamp for My Feet. And she writes like this. She, is, she writes, Lord, break the chains that hold me to myself. Free me to be your happy slave, to be the happy foot washer of anyone today who needs his feet washed, his supper cooked, his faults overlooked, his work commended, his failure forgiven, his griefs consoled, or even his button sued on. Let me not imagine that my love for you is very great if I am unwilling to do for a human something very small. Let me not imagine that my love for you is very great if I am unwilling to do for a human being something very small. I want to close with a story. It's called The Cab Driver. You may have heard this story before but let me just read this out to you. Very beautiful story. Twenty years ago I drove a cab for a living. It was a cowboy's life, a life for someone who wanted no boss. What I didn't realize was that it was also a ministry. Because I drove the night shift, my cab became a moving confessional. Passengers climbed in, sat behind me in total anonymity and told me about their lives. I encountered people whose lives amazed me, ennobled me, made me laugh and made me cry. But none touched me more than a woman I picked up late one August night. 
I was responding to a call from a small brick uh, quadruplex in a quiet part of town. I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partier or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or a worker heading for an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived, it was 2.30 a.m. The building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, most drivers would just honk once or twice, wait a minute and then drive away. But I had seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless a situation smelt of danger, I always went to the door. This passenger might be someone who needs my assistance. I reasoned to myself. So I walked to the door and I knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a printed dress and a, and a pillbox hat with a whale pinned on it, like somebody out of the 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the wall, no, no utensils on the counters. In the corner was a small cardboard box filled with photographs and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly towards the cab. She kept thanking me for my kindness. Oh, it's nothing, I told her. I just treat my passengers the way I would have treated my mother. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then, and then asked, Could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. And the doctor says I don't have very much long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. And for the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a little girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow down in front of a particular building or corner and she would just sit there staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sunrise was creasing across the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home, with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you? She asked. 
reaching into her purse. Oh, nothing, I said. Oh, but you have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent and I gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand, then I walked into the dim morning light. And behind me, a door shut. It was a sounding of perhaps the closing of a life. I didn't pick any more passengers that shift. I just drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver, I thought, or someone who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run? What if I had just honked once and then driven away? I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. We are conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may call a small one. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shall we just pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you Lord for this moment Lord. What a great God you are. What a great responsibility you've given us Lord to be lights in this dark world. To live up to your standards of life. To be witnesses that people would recognize the spirit of God in us. I pray, O oh Lord, that our lives would be lived out, Lord, that our faith would show by the deeds that we do. I pray, O oh God, that you would move us, Lord, if need be, as a single source of light in a dark place, that we might still reflect you, that people would see you in us. So take us and use us, Lord, for your kingdom's sake, whether we are many or whether we are few. Use us, Lord, for the glory of your name.